0: In his book, The Soul of Shame, Kurt Thompson says this, and all sin, all idolatry, all coping strategies in which I indulge are ways for me to satiate my hunger for what? What do you think he would say? Do you think it's rebellion? Do you think maybe he says something about his own desires? What do you think it is? This is how he says it. All of these things in which I indulge are ways for me to satiate my hunger for relationship, my longing to be known and loved, my desire to be desired. We have a deep desire to be known, for relationship, to be loved, and to be desired. If you grew up in the 1990s or early 2000s, the name Phil Vischer may not be a common name, but he is the creator of the cartoon VeggieTales. His company, The Big Idea, um, started in 1993 with one song, but over the next 10 years, he sold more than 25 million videos he employed over 200 people, even produced a major motion picture called Jonah, which brought in $24 million at the box office and sold 3 million copies. However, in 2003, it went bankrupt. In an article, um, an author named Bob Smietana, if I say it right, interviewed Visha shortly after the company's collapse. And so this is what uh, Bob says. He says, as the big idea the mother of the company grew, Vischer began to craft a master plan for its future. He saw two possibilities. He could remain a storyteller like C.S. Lewis, or he could become a quote empire builder like another of his heroes, Walt Disney. Being the next Walt Disney also felt a lot better than being plain old Phil. A middle child whose dad left when he was nine Vischer felt in, uh, invisible as a kid. His drive to build big idea was fueled by his childhood experience of loss. This is what Vischer said in his own words. When the first VeggieTales video started to catch on, I remember my sister saying, quote, we never thought you'd amount to much, which was partly joking, but only partly. I really felt driven, I think, To prove that I actually existed. The bigger it got, the more I felt validated. I am a nobody. I am not a nobody. I am Mr. Big Idea. Vischer had to come to a reckoning in his own heart. This longing that he had to be known in him created an idolatry that had to be cleansed so we could rightly have space in his heart to experience the fullness of God's love. For Vischer, this meant a trip to Disneyland to make peace with Walt Disney, or at least the statue. This is what Vischer said. I'm done now. You can be you, and I will be me. All of our sin, idolatry, is a longing for relationship to be known and loved and a desire to be desired. Now, this knowing is a very common biblical theme. We see in the beginning of the story, Adam and Eve knew one another, but what does it mean for us that we know God and that we are known by God? We're entering into a new section of the book of First Corinthians. In Word chapters 8 through 10, he starts to establish or strengthen the church around their freedoms that they have in Christ. While talking about food sacrificed to idol, he's trying to get them to understand that the freedom that we have is not for our own benefit. Ultimately, it's to be laid aside for the benefit of other people. We'll see this in the, Paul's payment as an apostle and his rights. We'll see this as missionaries in a couple weeks and ultimately finish this off with looking at food sacrifice to idols and laying down our rights for the sake of others. But in going there, he sets this whole passage up not only in response to their previous letter, but with this amazing first six verses that gives us the reason why we can do those things. And so we're going to focus on that today. So let's read in uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge. This, quote, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, quote, an idol has no real existence, and, quote, there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods or, quote, many lords, yet there, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things, and through whom we exist. A lot of times, when we start these conversations around um, knowing God, we ask the question oh, Do you know God? You? That's an evangelistic conversation sometimes. Do you know God? Do you? But Paul actually goes another direction here. He shows us that being known and loved by God is the source of true and faithful living. It's about being known by God as much as it is about knowing God. And so you see in these first few verses, he talks about knowledge puffing up. So to know things, they, they were experiencing as puffing them up, giving them a little bit of an arrogance, if you will. But love is what builds up. And so their knowing of knowledge was what they were fueling about. We were talking about this a few weeks ago in that special knowledge that allowed them to attain a specific stature in life. But what Paul is talking about, he's actually, um, while agreeing with them, he brings them to a more profound place. And he says, um, he is known by God. That we can be known. Now, to be known, as I mentioned, is a has deep biblical heritage. This is the term that Adam knew Eve. This this not only symbolized sexual intimacy, but as we've been talking about the last few weeks, sexual intimacy intimacy is about much deeper than just the act. But it's about a fully being known, and so the idea that you, uh, being known or being unashamed, it can be a a very terrifying experience for some of us. I mean, um, as I've been in my own story, and we're going to go through a couple different parts of my story today, um, I'm coming to see how significant, not only in my life, but my eyes are actually being opened, I feel, to the significance that shame plays in our day. I mean, shame is the first emotion talked about in the Bible. I mean, go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, they knew one another. They had knowledge about one another. They were naked, fully exposed, fully seen, fully understood, and they felt no shame. That's what the scripture says about the first emotion. They were known by God. They knew God. They were intimate with God. They were intimately connected with one another. They were fully known. But then the serpent came around and said, Did God really say? He plants this, this little seed of mistrust. And this is no, if we eat this or even touch it, we'll die, she says. But no, you, you won't die. You'll just be like God. As if she doesn't already have that. But there's a sense to which underneath this rebellion is the fact that she's not enough. That Adam and Eve are missing something. They don't have all of it. There's something more to where they're at. We like to say pride comes before the fall. I would contend that it's shame that also comes before the fall. And if I could give language to shame, it's this. It's in essence saying, I am not enough. I don't, I don't have what it takes. It's self-deprecating in ways. It, it's, it knocks us down. And so by experiencing shame, we, we have this tendency to want to not be known. Because if I have an underlying belief that there's something inherently wrong with me, that I'm not enough, that I don't have what it takes, then if other people know that, the fear is that they will not accept me. That I'll be kicked out, I'll be banished, I'll be removed. From the relational circles. I desire you and I, being made in the image of a relational God, are designed to be known, to be loved, and to receive and give freely of that love. But one of sin's most um, evil schemes is that we, it now attaches to that and, and we experience shame in that we're not enough. And so out of fear, we hide. And we oftentimes, we can hide behind these masks that, quote, puff us up like this Patches talk about. If, if people actually know, knew who I was, they wouldn't accept me, so I'm going to put on this mask, I'm going to put on this show, if you will, so that they do accept me. Sometimes, like here, it's knowledge. It's theology. There's a group of people, some of them I know, that um, they hide behind how much they know about the Bible. Now these can come from fundamental circles. These can come from a right view of the high view of Scripture. But with because they don't there's a fear of being known um, behind that, they continually showcase how theologically astute they are. When the conversation starts going to heart, they always bring it back to, to head. They always bring it back to theology. They like to show how um, bright they are. Now, I've, I've suffered from this at times. When I felt out of um, my comfort zone and I feel like I don't belong in a circle, all of a sudden I start talking theologically in ways that are not necessary for the time or showing my knowledge about something because I, I want to belong, I want to fit in but if they knew that I feel this insecure or if they feel the shame in the moment, I, 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 they can't know that so I have to put the best foot forward. And so sometimes the best foot forward, the mask that we wear, is our knowledge. Sometimes it's our accomplishments. This could be winning, uh, highly competitive. If I'm insecure, the best way or if I'm feeling shame The best way for me to not is to make sure that somebody else is lower than me. I have to beat them. I have to dominate them. I have to win against them. I I compete. It doesn't have to be competitive, but it could just be accomplishments. Look at what I've done. Look how great it's been. Like Phil Vischer, the creation of amazing company was birthed out of a shame that was given to him and he experienced throughout his life when it was given to him as a child. But it was the fuel, it was the motivation by which it was happened. Sometimes it's fame. We want to be known by a lot of people. In my story, um, when I was in the band, I started to adapt this. And the thought was, and this is what I received recently, the thought was, the more people that know me, the more I am known. And that's a lie. That's not true. And I, I started to believe, like, oh, I just I need to have a broader, broader, wider, more significant impact. In that way, that way I'm known. They'll pursue me. They'll want me. They'll reach out to me. And then that will show how much I am desired. That will that will be the balm to the wound that is my own shame. This last couple days, um, and okay, oh, pause. Sometimes these masks that we put on, we proactively know we're doing it. And oftentimes, as I've come to discover, this being known by others, um, these masks that we put on, we don't realize that we've done them. But as we look into our own hearts, as we go into our own family of origin stories, and we go into our growing and maturing in Christ, they start to expose themselves and we start to experience them in new ways. I'm just coming off a couple days, or uh, a day, excuse me, of a time of silence and solitude. I, I try to take them at least once a quarter, um, ideally every other month where I can just get away and pray. As I talked about in January, I've been in my, the middle of uh, a really, it's, it's been almost two-year journey, three or four years if I go back to Strong Leader, of understanding my own story and unpacking um, my, own, my own stuff, if you will and come to realize that shame is the water that I swim in. It's a, um, it is a, a, how do I say this? Um, uh, A kind but evil friend. Um, And so I have been working through my own um, ways in which I feel that I'm not enough, that I, I don't belong, that I don't have what it takes. And also unpacking ways in which I've tried to counter that and put my mask on to show that I do have what it takes. So this last weekend, as I'm going through my my own journey and continuing in this, we get to a part of my, I, with the Father and uh, in prayer, I get to this part of my story that's rooted in my family of origin, but it's showing up even to now to this day. Um, the this understanding of my accomplishments, my being able to get stuff done, my moving the ball forward. Um, in prophet-priest-king language, it's my kingly nature. And I always thought that, I mean, that's what my family was, that's, so that's what I must be too. I, I get the job done, I move the ball forward. And so part of me has always been like fearful of, wait a second, like is this how God's designed me? Or is this part of my broken story? And I'm still trying to figure out where one begins and the other ends, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in process of that part of it. But the, the, in prayer, what started to be revealed is that this kingliness of me, not king as a crown, but king as in like moving the ball forward in accomplishments, was and has been a way for me to hide, or a way for me to hide behind it, I should say. It's a way for me to, it's been a way for me to show that I belong, that I, um, that I am desirable. If I'm honest with you, um, I felt that what is desirable about me is what I do for others, but people deal with me more than they desire me. Um, and so that kingly part of me which I do believe is God-given, it's been distorted in seeing that that's all I have to offer. But what the Father was given was, Justin, it's okay to let that go. It's, it's, it's okay to not be bound by that. To step into and lean into something new that he has for me. A, a more real, um, unmanufactured, part of who I am that he wants me to live out of. But if I'm honest with you, that's terrifying. <laughs> because if I have a belief that I am accepted based on what I do, but not who I am, I am desired and pursued by what I offer, not by just my very personhood, what happens if I stop doing living out of that falseness? And I start living out of the realness that God has given. Well, you can imagine the fear that, oh, no, they're not going to accept me anymore. They're not going to want to be around me. Oh, if I stop doing all the things, will I even have a job? Yes, I will. But like, there's those fears that are attached to this that want to draw me back into the I'm not enough story, into my shame story, into not wanting to be known not wanting to fully live this out because if I do, what are people going to do when they realize that this isn't, um, that what I have been is not what I fully am in Christ. Now, I don't know where you are. I, and I share my story, one, for vulnerability to know that we're all on this journey. This, none, no one is beyond this. But there is a sense to which our desire to know and to be known, our desire to love and experience love, we, you and I, don't think we can handle it. We, we hide, we run, we, we put on masks. That also could be because we don't know the character by which we are offering ourselves to and being known by. I've become convinced that our understanding of the nature of God's fatherhood, what does it say in verse six? There is one God, the Father, from whom all things. When we think of God as Father, convinced that that is birthed, um, our mental image of that is birthed in our own family. My kids are going to have to wrestle with how I both rightly projected God the Father and portrayed Him, shown His image, but also how I didn't fully. And they're gonna, it's going to be a lifelong journey for them to see and hopefully come to a better place than I have been and um, their development in Christ. But if I think that God is vindictive, that He's going to weaponize the deepest parts of me, If I think that somebody is going to take my secrets and gossip about me, I'm not going to give them my secrets. If I am afraid that the deepest part of me to be known by somebody who's going to go and share it with everybody else and ridicule me, you better believe I'm not going to share that. But a lot of times, that's how we look at God. God is vindictive. He's looking. He's trying to nitpick every single thing you do wrong and point it out and then rub it in. That's not God the Father. That may be our dad's. That may be what your dad was like. That may be his experience that you've had in the church even. Leaders even. But that's not the character and nature of God. That's not the one that Hosea 11 talks about being so patient and having loving kindness that endures forever to his people That's not the picture of God that we see in the story of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son who pursues the son as the son's coming back to him and lays aside all of his social status for the sake of relationship and bringing the boy back into his family. That's the picture of God the Father. But we have a picture that's vindictive. Or we could have a picture of God that's indifferent. He just doesn't care. He created you. He started you. But he doesn't care about you anymore. He doesn't want to be involved in you, you think. He's living his own life. He's got other things to fight. And you're not important enough for him to worry about. And if we have these views of God like that, we're going to continue in our story of sin, and we're not going to want to be known by God. But if we are known by a God whom is the epitome of love, self-sacrifice, patience, gentleness, kindness, passion, pursuits, grace, if that's the father that we are known by, then we will freely offer ourselves to that one. And brothers and sisters, that is what our God is like. We are known by a God who is Father, who all things exist and for them, as we see in this passage. We are known by a Lord and committed to a Lord who sacrificed his own life for you and I. While you and I were sinners, Jesus died for us. We are beloved children of the Most High God. I mean, as parents, if you're a parent, I just want you to think about when you see your child do something that they love, do you say, oh, yeah, there, that's that's not that good? Or are you like, man, that just brings you so much joy and awe. I, I mean, and you could have a newborn and you just look at that newborn and you're just amazed at them. You see your child engage in an activity, whether it's building Legos, drawing art, playing sports, and they're just, they love it, and they're so good at it, and you're just so proud of them. You know them, you see them. That is just a glimpse of God's heart to us. God is more trustworthy, more generous, more kind than we ever will say and will ever understand. And he looks at you and he doesn't say you're not enough. But he says, in Christ, you are mine. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. In Christ, you are cleansed of your unrighteousness. You are whole. You are pure. I see you. I I knit every... I knit you together in your mother's womb. I can count every single hair on your body. I know every single thought and every single thing you ever did. I know your deepest, darkest fears and insecurities and and doubts. And I see you and I love you. That is the heart of our Father. That is who we are known by And that is who we don't have to mask, put our mask on. We don't have to hide from him like Adam and Eve. We were, we heard you coming and we were afraid of you. We don't have to be afraid of this God because his wrath, his penalty, the consequence of our sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Now we are beloved sons. Hebrews says we can enter the throne of grace, throne of grace boldly. We can enter into the throne room of God as children saying, Dad, I need this. I know you know me. I know I messed up. I know I keep doing this. But I am known by you. We are loved so that we can now express that love to others. Being known by God, being loved by God, is the source of true and faithful living. Phil Vischer says, This in this story, I was trying to be someone that God didn't call me to be, and that God didn't create me to be. It wasn't working, and I couldn't see a way out without disappointing a lot of people. So I kept beating my head against the walt door, trying to get in. I don't know what idol that you're trying to live up to, if it's like this. I don't know what mask you are hiding behind. I don't know how aware you are of your shame story, but I know, brothers and sisters, this. We are loved. We can, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed Into the image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Unveiled faces. Unmasked. We can behold our Lord. In our sin we are not enough. But in Christ we have been made enough. Because we are in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That you know us. You see us. Father, I pray for my friends that have not professed faith in Jesus yet. I pray that they, as they hear this, they are tapping into their heart that realizes how much they long to be known and loved and desired. And Jesus in you, they fully get to experience that. So I pray that they today place their faith in you as the Redeemer, Savior, and Lord of their life. For those that have professed faith, God, I pray that you reveal in this conversation, in this time, that we are known, loved, desired, pursued by you. That being known by you is a source of true and faithful living. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.